0: such a joy to be back. We were gone. Someone sent us away. We went to Hawaii. While we were there, there was flooding on one island and the other island blew up with lava. No, seriously, they weren't right where we were. And we got to see much of God's creation, had a wonderful time. And I was just really thankful that it was, well, I guess it was sunny here, huh? But uh, really thankful for our body. Thankful for Ken Pollock who came and and helped us with how God's our father and Last week, Jason Tapro with with the just essential nature of the gospel, and I just walk away and i am back so grateful for our body, for our family, and what a special thing it is, you know. Jesus could come back any moment, and yet we get this moment to focus in on Him and to think about Him, and it's a special, special thing that we get to do today. And we get to focus today on His Word, and in His Word, First Corinthians. If you want to go there with me, it's. We've started this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he loves them. 1 Corinthians 1, as we've started, where he identifies them as the church of God and calls them saints and holy and wonderful Christians, and yet this letter is written about their mess, about how they're just not doing the things that would be helpful for them. And and so he helps them in this letter to get them refocused and reorient on the most important things, And, and I just hope that we can too it's so easy and i see in my own heart and i get to share with you my own personal struggles as the word of god works on me and i hope the word of god also works on you and that's what we're going to do today so today what we have is we have a first line that sets the stage for us and helps us see the problem we'll talk through the passage and then we'll have a bottom line that i really want you to walk away with and see and make sure you get so we're going to start with a first line today from first corinthians And it's verse 18. We ended with it the last time that I was up here. It's this one. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Isn't that a great verse? I hope you've memorized it, or if you haven't, you might memorize it. It's a great, wonderful verse. It's, wow, the word of the cross. It's folly, literally stupidity to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, he's talking to the Corinthian church, but also to anybody who's alive right now and believing in Jesus. We're being saved. We're not there yet, you know, because, because we're going to be like Jesus because we'll see him as he is. First John three says, but right this minute I'm in this life. Super helpful. The word of the cross is the power of God. And to those who don't believe the word of the cross is stupidity. So I want as a way of thinking. Step back with me, will you? Think about this. The issue of your life is right here. And oftentimes we act like it it isn't. So I want to ask you to look at your own life for a minute. In all honesty, what do you want to achieve? What do you hope for? If you're young or you're old, whatever, what do you have hoped your life is like? And it's church, you know, so most of us will say, well, Jesus, because Jesus is a Sunday school answer. Or you'll say... I want to go to heaven. Amen. Me too. But most of us are living daily life and we're we're hoping for some things. I would like my life to be safe. I don't want to experience extreme suffering. I don't want to experience hardness or uh, man, I want my marriage to be preserved. I want my kids to be successful. I want to make enough money. Not so I'm super rich. I'm not want to be super rich, but I want to be in the middle. I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be addicted to stuff. I'd like to live a life that's moderately successful and moral and and good. You guys with me? Is that okay to say? I, I long for heaven, don't get me wrong. I want Jesus, don't get me wrong. But oftentimes in practicality, what I'm after is a life well lived. How do I get there? For almost everyone, the way that you get there is by something called wisdom principles you develop to live your life by. And so we have schooling where we train people in principles. If this is how you succeed in the world, we, we instill in people ideas that they can work on, that they can do that. And we, wisdom, and the, the word for wisdom, it's like applied knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's actual working it out, living skillfully. If we're Christians, and we are, we tend to take those principles that we live by from the Bible. <laughs> of course we do. So we'll take these ideas of how you're supposed to live. We'll scan the Bible. We use verses that are right like like First Timothy 3. We'll say, hey, you know that all Scripture is profitable for rebuke and for training and for instruction. And so we take those things and we scan the Bible and we pull out principles and we apply and use those principles so that our daily life works pretty well. Honestly, Everybody does this, not just Christians. If you read common books and you go and you pick up the best books on how to succeed in business, you'll come up with seven words for successful businessmen. or ser- And they're all principles you could actually find in the Bible, most of them. Be a humble leader, be, be someone who listens, be someone who actually solves problems and doesn't just run away from them or whatever you might be. You know, work diligently like the ant. These are good things. I've been actually, in the past, about a month ago, I was studying Buddhism, and it was amazing. The principles, the five things that you were supposed to do, the, the eightfold path, and it was, it was all things that were very wise things. I mean, think rightly, act right, rightly, um, be understanding towards other people, don't cause people to, to stumble and fall, be kind, essentially. All these good things from, you know, the, 2,000 years ago. Wisdom for living in the world. At this point, you're probably starting to go, wait a minute. There's a possible problem whenever Dax talks about Buddhism. There must be something wrong. Yeah, I, I think you maybe should have a tendril of unease in light of this verse, how you think you should be living. Let me say that the Bible is folly to those who are perishing? No. No, it didn't say that, did it? It says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The word of the cross, there's a specificity to it. There's something specific going on right here. The power of God is not in just the general words of this book. It's not in whatever principle I can find in the Bible. It's in what? The word of the cross. So the question I have for you is, what's the word of the cross? And how does it actually impact you and me? What is it? Hey, <laughs> man, I don't want to live a skillful life, and I want the power of God. So what? It's the word of the cross it is, right? Right? So I want us to think about how that might influence how you and I think about our lives on earth right now. And, and and for me, that means we've got to move past the first line and consider this topsy-turvy truth that he pulls out for us to look at. God's foolishness and the wisdom of the world. That's where he goes first. So he goes there in verse 19 and says, Paul does, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Paul is quoting Isaiah 29, 14, where God talks about the wondrous work he's going to do and how it will be against the wisdom of the wise. He grabs hold, doesn't he, Paul, of this important critical idea that the word of the cross is against the wisdom of the world. In fact, he goes on to say, he says, for where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made Foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Right? So Paul says, hey, where's the, where's the smart guy? Where's the debater? Where's the one who is, who is into the wisdom of skillful living and has laid it all out? And, and essentially what he's saying is, I know you guys, he's not among you. He's not there. He's not in the church. The great learned ones, the wisest person of this age, and I start thinking about all all the smart people I went to college with. I got to go to Ivy League University. I'm surrounded by amazingly smart, intelligent people, and they don't, for a minute, believe in Jesus. They believe in living a smart life. They're applying principles of smart living, They're going to be successful in the world. I think of medical school. I went to medical school, and these guys are so smart. They can look at a piece of paper, and they can blink their eyes, and they memorize the whole thing. I want that. didactic memory or whatever it's called. They don't know Jesus. That's smart. Where are these people who are so smart? They're not among us. The really wise are not here. Why? Because God made foolish the wisdom of the wise. God made this message, the word of the cross. And you see what he calls it? He calls it right here. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The stupidity, that's the word, right? The stupidity of what we're preaching. Now, at that point right here, you should stop me. You should say, wait, Dax, what we're preaching isn't stupid. In some sense you're right, but there's a sense in which it's sad that that's right. That what you hear from so many pulpits across our nation is three tips to be a better parent. Fourteen ways to save your marriage. Six ways to be successful. Because they're taking principles from the Bible and they're making sense for you. Logical sense on how, forget the cross. Man, with a date night you can help your marriage is that true yeah it's true what isn't it it's not the stupidity of preaching god chooses the folly of preaching to save people that that gotta give us pause (laughs) what is he talking about it we forget as christians why do we forget because you know what we're kind of like the world (laughs) We long for success. I want these things over here that are good things. But our message can't be how to be a wiser person, a better parent, a more successful businessman, self-help or self-improvement. That's the rage everywhere. Whether you're in society, societal improvement, how do we decrease poverty as a whole? How do we help people get proper places to live. These are excellent things, good things, wise things, and and everybody's into them. It's not folly. We forget we're saved by something that seems like total stupidity. That's the meaning of that word, right? Folly. The folly of the preaching. What is the folly of preaching? It's the word of the cross the suffering of God already accomplished for you. That's folly. Seemingly. Look at the contrast, friend. Here we go, the contrast. See, He keeps on going in verse 22. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see how he backs up for a moment, Paul does, and he says, Well, look at the big picture. Think broadly. There's the Jews. They're the keepers of the law and the prophets, and they're looking for a sign, a sign from God that Messiah is coming. We know he's already come. But Paul doesn't really deal with them in this passage. He's noting it. He really focuses in on the Greeks, who he links to the Gentiles, who's us. And he says they seek after wisdom. Sometimes people say, well, what they're seeking after is special hidden knowledge, and watch out for that, and it's called Gnosticism and those things. But the word for Gnosticism is gnosis. That means knowledge, and that's not the word he's using. He's saying Greeks search after skillful living, the life well lived. And if you know Greeks at all, or you've done any study, you know the Epicureans or the Stoics, they're talking about how to live life in such a way that you've done it well. And Aristotle or or Plato or Socrates, and they're searching after wise living. How do we do it? And you know what? We long for it too. I don't want to live some spazzy, crummy life. I want my kids to do well. I want to do, I don't want to be a rock star. I just want to be wise, you know? Into this comes Christ crucified. So you have these thoughts that the Greeks are building on about incremental principles of skillful living. And over here comes the atomic bomb of the cross. Christ crucified a lowly and humble God who who suffered and died unjustly so that anyone can be saved just by trusting him. How can that be true? That's stupid. Indeed, that seems like folly. Over here, life principles for self-disciplined, rational, skillfully lived life, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with it except Over here is the power of God and Christ, the wisdom of God. And they are not the same. So is it okay that I say that the wisdom for the believer is not in the principles of existence? The wisdom for the believer is the Savior. The wisdom for the believer is Christ crucified the one who suffered and died on the cross, the one who raised not his head, the one who loved the little and the least and the lost, the unworthy and not the unworthy. And and before you object, say, wait a minute, that's Proverbs. Wisdom. I say, yes, you're right. And we read some of it this morning. Hear it, though. Did you hear it? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What nobody has... Nobody fears the Lord so that they obey him and don't sin and obey his law. Only Jesus. So the beginning of wisdom was fear of the Lord. The end of wisdom is Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom. That's who he is. It's an amazing thing. He's even personified in Proverbs. You can talk to me later about it. We can look at Proverbs 8 together. Or even Proverbs 3 that we just read this morning about how through wisdom God made the earth. Because Jesus is wisdom. So if you understand this, wisdom becomes less about principles of good living, and honestly, that makes no sense to us, because we are focused on ourselves properly attaining standing, but honestly, it's a standing in the world, and it's a standing we bring into the church. seems foolish that God would make this the skilled living instead of us and our improving personal growth and society. It does seem foolish, doesn't it? I mean, come on. So look what he says. He says this amazing thing. He just goes right in. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when the world says, hey, this doesn't seem logical that all of our hope, that all of our wisdom is Christ alone and Him crucified, that seems stupid. That seems foolish. They're right. When people say all of our hope is in this man who came 2,000 years ago and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead, but we don't know, I haven't seen him ever. That sounds foolishly weak. You're right. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. God's foolishness is the cross of Christ and it destroys the wisdom of the world. My question is, has it destroyed you? Because this, to see this is to start to see how different Christianity is than the world. And yet you and I live in the world. You and I struggle with it. I struggle with this. I struggle with a longing to see myself wise. By how? By applying principles. What principles? Whatever I can find in the Bible. What is that not precisely linked to? The wisdom of God who is Jesus. So if we're going to embrace this foolishness of God, we've got to see ourselves as we are. We're not on the road to being skillful. You're nothing, you and I, yet we're loved by the king. Why do I say that? Because this is where Paul is going as he's talking to them. It's God's choice and actually our folly. And remember what folly means, stupidity. Look with me. This is verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Paul knows these guys, right? He knows the Corinthian church. And he, he says, hey, think about yourselves. In terms of the world, not many of you were very skillful at living. Not many of you were super smart. And and he knows them, so he knows. But, but he knows us too. And, and I know you. I'm sorry. Don't get offended. Not many of us. I mean, we got it for every, we we got a Mike Heiser. He's not here, I can brag on him. He's in Israel, he's leading a bunch of people around talking about highfalutin things, about all the deep, wonderful, amazing stuff going on that he only, he knows. I mean, he goes on late night radio programs for the whole nation and talks about UFOs. And people listen. It's incredible. He's really wise and smart. And he's a heck of a softball player. But here's the thing, not many of us are like that. Not many of us. And you know what he's talking about? You. You know what else he's talking about? Me. They're not noble. We don't have connections. We don't have power and wealth. If you do, it's not bad that you do. It's, it's, wow, how cool. God is very kind. The little of the badness is, I want to be one of those people. (laughs) And yet the identification I get to have is I'm not one of those people. The reality, he says, is that not many do. And he looks around. You almost get this sense of, I get this sense of, I read that. I start thinking, man, we got to get some better people. we got to go recruit. we got to go identify the movers and shakers of this world. we got to go find the wise and the noble and the wealthy and the, the intelligent. we got to grab them because what a great thing. If they were strong and they knew Jesus, it would build the kingdom. We could get people of influence to influence this world and more people would come to Christ. What's wrong with that? It's exactly the opposite of what this says. What do you mean? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He didn't choose the strong people. He didn't choose the wise people in the world. By that I mean those who have it together, they're living skillfully. You can see it. Instead, he chose the foolish. Who is he talking about? Uh Uh-oh. He's talking about you. God chose the foolish. Stupid. Over here. But saved by the king. It's it's amazing. This is our identification that, it's, and we weren't chosen because we were wise. This is God's choice. It's one of the reasons I think faith is a gift. God knows all about principles and wisdom and learning and knowledge, but He chose other people. He chose you and me. He chose us not because we were wise. But because we're foolish, he chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. He's not after, he's no respecter of the world's wisdom and strength and might and power and wealth. But what that means is that I got, I, I got a problem. I still long for it. I want to have those things for myself. And so I start thinking, well, what the the, the deal is, is that I'll use the principles to make myself more wise, more strong, more safe, better. And that's precisely what's not happening. He chose the foolish because you're foolish. Foolish. Ouch. The witness is that, that the God has chosen the nobodies. Because it says here, here's verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We will never boast. We will never boast of how much money we made, how wisely we invested, how many people we touched how many meals we served, how many Bible studies we attended. We will never boast of our great intelligence or our grades, our promotions, our successes. We will never boast in the presence of God. You know what that means? That means at the end. That's really remarkable because really what I think is I can't boast now, but maybe by the end, when I've lived life as a Christian for 25 years and I've got something to boast about because I've applied these skills and wisdom and now I'm something. Let me show you, oh God, the great things I have done in your name. Let me just say, nobody will do that. That—that's what he's saying. Why? Because who God has chosen are the ones who are nothing, not the ones who are something. Which means this: humility. You realize humility? It's not a character trait. It's a reality. It's not something you work on to get more humble. It's a reality. We're nothing. We're nothing, you and me. We aren't the best people in the world's eyes. It's huge because often what we think, I think just like the world. I think that God is after the best people. And so I have to pretend to be one of the best people. And we sort of imply that God loves people who are put together more than those who aren't. I mean, we give lip service to nobody's perfect, but then I go right on trying to be as perfect as I can. I mean, I can't show people that I'm not well put together. I'm trying to witness for Jesus here. (laughs) What it would be like instead of us faking, what it would be like if people really knew, if your friends really knew that your marriage was struggling and Your kids were rebelling and you've missed three mortgage payments. You really aren't a success. What if people knew like the truth? Because I know that's who you are. Why? Because the Bible tells me that God chose the foolish and the weak. That would be a testimony, wouldn't it? To this, the actual word of God, that God loves the sinner, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and and he didn't die for us so that we would immediately begin not sinning anymore and show how cool it is that God saved me. No, he continues to love me as I fail. Not that it's good to fail. The wonder is Christ and his love. Even as I wish I never failed again, ever. God chose the foolish. That's me. There will be no boasting. Because God saves the nobodies. That's me. Galatians says the same thing. You know, Galatians 6, 14, I'll just tell you. It says, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, just in the suffering of God on my behalf, this is my boast. He suffered for me and for you too. Okay, if you follow me all this way, it's fairly pokey and hard because my reason is pokey and hard is because I long for something that God's not doing. You do too. But there's a bottom line. I want you to see the bottom line and we can be done today. The bottom line is the last two verses. It's a final statement. You need to see it. This is another one to memorize. And because of him, God, because of God, Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see what this does? It's just a remarkable way that he closes his paragraph that he's writing here with a bottom line. He says, you know what? You get to be in Jesus. There's your value. There's your identity. There's your hope. You know what? You get wisdom. He's a person. His name's Jesus. You get goodness. He's a person. His name is Jesus. You get holiness. Jesus. You get redemption. Jesus. None of that's you this is so hard for me. I want to be wise in myself. I want to be righteous myself. I want to be holy myself. I want to redeem myself. And that's exactly what we don't get. The bottom line is Jesus has become these for you. You are in Jesus, which means he's our wisdom, our goodness, our holiness, our redemption. We have none of our own. So so you say, okay, I get it. This is so radical and so deep and so amazing and so upside down and so against my flesh. Wow, what do I do? Do this. Soak in this. Soak in Jesus. You know, you will have personal failure. You will have personal slights. You will have personal guilt, personal hurt. You'll have personal trial, and you come back to this, and you say, you know what? The word of the cross is that Jesus Christ is for me, and I am in him, and he is these things for me. You're with a God who loves the lowly, and so we are the lowly. Don't worry about taking the wrong step, right? Too often what we have is we're totally paralyzed because we want to be wise. And so I'm going to be wise by making sure I don't miss the step. And so you know what? I never take the step. I just sit here wanting to, wondering what should I do next because I don't want to do it wrong. Man, if I do the wrong thing, my kids will turn out terrible. Jesus is your wisdom. You're free to take the step. You might do something unwise in a worldly sense. You might for sure. In fact, you might do something that has bad consequences for your family. That might even happen because, because it's true, you know. The way that people want to live skillfully for themselves is so that they have good consequences for their decisions. There's a reality to that. We just have something underneath it. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He's going to grab us. He'll take us home. You're you're in the arms of the one who will never let you go. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. Remember, you and I, that we're, we are the least and the lowly and the ones who are nothing. In order to get into this amazing body, to get this amazing treasure, to get in Christ, we, we realize we're, we're nothing. So I don't have to worry about me. I can actually spend time touching other people. You should do this. You realize there are people all around you who are hurting? I know they are because you're the least and the lowly. That's the people God saves. Touch somebody today. Not because it's a duty or you have to, but because it's fantastic. You know people are hurting and they're your brothers and sisters. Touch them. Love someone. Don't worry about you. Have a grand time telling other people the good news. And, And see, the final thing, see See, this is the struggle of our lives, is that we long for worldly wisdom. The fear of the Lord, Solomon said. (laughs) He goes through in Ecclesiastes and he rips down every good thing, even though they're good things. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Comes to the end and says, this is all I got. Fear God and (sighs) enjoy Him. Enjoy your life. We know more. We know that fearing God is coming to this word, the word of the cross, who is Jesus Christ, and trusting that he is for us forever. Oh, Jesus is our wisdom. Lean in today.